The following Knowledge at Wharton podcast is brought to you by the 2007 Wharton Economic Summit, being held April 12th and 13th in Philadelphia. Get the latest industry insights and business knowledge from 30 faculty-moderated panels. For event details, please visit 125th.wharton.upenn.edu forward slash summit. That's 125th.wharton.upenn.edu forward slash summit. Kenneth Shropshire knows sports. He is director of Wharton's Sports Business Initiative, president of the Sports Lawyers Association, a former executive with the Los Angeles Olympic Organizing Committee, and a football player during his undergraduate days at Stanford. He has written The Business of Sports in Black and White, Race and Sports in America, and Basketball Jones, America Above the Rim. He is also a professor of legal studies and business ethics at Wharton. His newest book is titled Bean Sugar Ray, The Life of Sugar Ray Robinson, America's Greatest Boxer and the First Celebrity Athlete. We asked Ken to talk to us about why he wrote the book and what impact Sugar Ray Robinson has had on sports, society, business, race relations, and anything else. Ken, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Let me start by asking you what exactly you mean by the term celebrity athlete. What I was trying to get to was the distinction between the guy that plays a great game or the woman that plays a great game and um, the athlete that's something special that goes beyond the game, does a lot off of the field of play, and has some notoriety and some fame uh, based on those other activities. So they come closer to being more like the Hollywood figure, more like actors and entertainers uh, than athletes. Uh, speaking of Sugar Ray, uh, you describe him as America's greatest boxer and the first celebrity athlete. Uh, how do you think he compares to someone, say, like Muhammad Ali? Uh, uh, w- was there a reason why why you felt Sugar Ray is, is uh, a better boxer and perhaps even more of a celebrity? Well, in boxing, um, it's a tougher call. And I think most people give it to Sugar Ray Robinson when you put that pound-for-pound pound kind of qualifier on there, that he fought as a welterweight middleweight, so he's 147 to 160 pounds, whereas Ali and Joe Lewis or Rocky Marciano, those are all huge guys, the, the more in the 200-pound range. So certainly, one-on-one, uh, their real weight's given. Uh, Robinson may not have been as successful. But at a pound-for-pound pound level, the sheer number of fights is, is probably the the biggest qualifier to put him way ahead of these other guys. He fought 202 times, whereas uh, Joe Lewis and Muhammad Ali combined uh, didn't reach half that number. And Sugar Ray Leonard, another great boxer, uh, needed about 120 more bouts to get anywhere close to as many as Robinson had. So he was just stellar in that regard. On, on the, the idea of, of being the first celebrity, uh, the first celebrity athlete. There were certainly a number of people before him that that had some fame, you know, Babe Ruth or Lou Gehrig, or and globally there were others. But Robinson is really the first in this modern era kind of imagery of the African American that is being himself, being broadly accepted across the color line and globally. So he got the cross racial lines and also the the global. He was the first, and this is the late 40s, early 50s, that he accomplished this. 
So you use the term celebrity athlete in a totally positive way. I mean, or is there some slight negative connotation to it in the sense that should athletes be celebrities or does that detract from their focus on what made them great? Well, nothing, nothing negative about it um, that comes to mind right away or came to mind while writing the book. I mean, certainly there are some celebrity athletes that do some negative things. And certainly there are those who gain celebrity and lose focus on, on the game. But there can be, and part of what the book was was trying to find and trying to look at, there can be a, a very positive use of celebrity by the few that attain it. And part of where the book is trying to go, I mean, Robinson was not perfect either. He had a lot of what the book does is talks about some of the flaws that he had, the problems that he had. Um, but he's a guy who now 50 plus years before the men and women today set forth a pretty good roadmap on what it would take to be the fully successful, positive celebrity athlete. Um, so that's part of the reason too, why his life was a good one to use. Uh, you've you've spoken about uh, Sugar Ray as a boxer. How how good was he at business? Was he a success there as well? For a while, he you know what was most successful about him. What's most unique about him is that he had uh, a series of businesses on uh, 124th Street between Seventh and Eighth Avenue in New York City in Harlem. He had uh, Sugar Ray's the restaurant restaurant bar. He had uh, Edna May's lingerie shop as his wife's name. Golden Glover's Barbershop. Uh, he had a beauty salon, a real estate business. So nearly a city block of businesses that he owned in the early 1950s. This was extraordinary. And this was one of the things that, that drove me to, and being at a business school, that drove me to think about looking at Robinson as this athlete entrepreneur and trying to see what was really, what drove him to do this. How did he pull this off? And and certainly today, most people know about Magic Johnson, who has uh theaters and Starbucks coffee shops and that sort of stuff. But what, what is really different about what Robinson did was he did it while he was the active athlete on top of his game. So it's amazing that he pulled it off. Now, when you say how successful was he, well, he didn't, uh, it didn't last forever. And the businesses did not continue to thrive after he finished boxing. How are, how are the pressures placed on athletes today, such as the constant prying into their personal lives, the pressure to use performance-enhancing drugs, the push to endorse products and make a lot of money while they're young, pressure to be role models? How are those different from what they were like during the past 50 or 60 years? Very different. Uh, what was that was uh, relatively uh, old song now, More Money, More Problems, that, that the more money that's come into these games, the more... There's been a push and more competition for uh, to use whatever it takes to be successful. And it's, it's refreshing when you see stories, as the story just recently about Ryan Howard of the Philadelphia Phillies uh, being kind of this new era baseball player that says, I never have and never will use performance-enhancing drugs. Well, certainly that was the mode of, of athletes long ago, late 40s, early 50s. Let me see how successful I can be. And, and, and there, frankly, just wasn't the availability uh, of that type of, of enhancer. It's, it's interesting. I was trying to see what kinds of things Robinson may have done that, that were similar if there was any kind of steroid equivalent. And one of the things that these athletes did, they did uh, inject vitamin B12 and things like that. So there was still this, this aura of we need to do something to get an edge uh, but nothing of the extremes that we know about today. And it wasn't illegal to do that. No, it wasn't no. illegal. At all. Yeah, vitamins were fine. <laughs> right. Was Sugar Ray a role model back when he was still fighting? Um, 
is he a role model today or is he not just not well known anymore? Well, he certainly was a, a, a prominent role model in his day. He was a, a huge figure, especially in his in the worlds that he lived in, 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 in Harlem. He was actually a huge figure in Harlem and uh, Paris and then L.A. later on in life. And then to some extent, uh, there was more fame that occurred as his image was projected and, and more of his story was told. But you've got to remember that he became famous uh, before ESPN, CNN, uh, before uh, wide-ranging national TV broadcast. So you can you can recognize his fame when you, you look at the photos and hear the stories about what he did in his Harlem neighborhood and, and how uh, people look to, for example, I mean, rightly or wrongly, uh, he drove a flamingo, flamingo pink Cadillac and it was labeled the Hope Diamond uh, of Harlem, that, that if, if Sugar Ray can do it, we can do it too. So there was was that positive, and, and you know, in some ways you can look to to Robinson as, as the start of this whole question of should athletes be role models, are they, and what impact do they really have? Uh, did his business activities inspire other athletes to turn to business? So, uh, the, what you referred to as the athlete an, uh, athlete entrepreneur, has that become a more broad-based phenomenon, and are there other examples of athletes who have been successful entrepreneurs? Right. Well, I guess two two different answers. To that there are a few athletes that I've talked to today, or I've heard interviewed today, that have said they look right to Sugar Ray Robinson for uh, the success that they had off the field. Sugar Ray Leonard, for example, points to him. Muhammad Ali pointed to him early on in his career. Um, so, so there are some examples that look directly to Robinson. But I think for the most part, and part of what the book talks about is. Most athletes don't know who Sugar Ray Robinson was, and they don't know that they are doing much of what he did before. So you see guys, I mentioned Magic Johnson, um, even lesser names, uh, Keyshawn Johnson, who uh, is a real interesting case that I actually don't don't talk about in, in the in the book. He had this, this if he had been a more famous athlete, he's a, a player in the NFL, if he'd been a more famous athlete, some of what he did would have been um, – would have received a lot more praise as well. He interestingly opened, for example, this is not a big business venture, but just kind of the irony between him and Robinson where Robinson's biggest business, uh, biggest acknowledged business was a Sugar Ray's cafe in, in Harlem. Um, Keyshawn Johnson actually had a restaurant called rain, R E I G N that kind of rain in, in Beverly Hills. And, uh, that, was one of the big moments a lot of people pointed to. This was in the, in the 90s as, huh, he didn't just open up a business. He opened up a business that was in uh, a high flutin neighborhood. It wasn't, it wasn't a community-based business. And he took it kind of to the next level in, in uh, he had the choice. He you know, sort of took this, this option to, to build a business where uh, others couldn't have before. And you know, part of the, the Robinson story, too, I, I, I looked to him and, and started talking about him, writing about him, thinking that isn't this unique that he's reinvesting in his community when, in fact, uh, ironically, probably in the 1950s, if he wanted to build his businesses on Park Avenue, he would not have been allowed to. Interesting. Interesting. Um, leads me to another question. Do you feel that Robinson changed the way America regarded race? Did he open the way for more black athletes? Did he have an impact on the racism that was so prevalent during that that time? Well, here's the the real 
transitional impact of of Robinson with both athletes and race was that if you look at the, the, the timeline of athletes, black and white, prior to Robinson, the biggest name African-American athlete uh, was certainly Jack Johnson in the early part of the century. And Jack Johnson played a role uh, of intimidating white America, um, apart from the reasons why or, or how aggressively he did it. That, that really was the role that he played. He was not a broadly accepted celebrity athlete. There was a gap in between the time that African-Americans were allowed to participate in, in major level sport and the next athlete that had the opportunity was Joe Lewis. And those, those of us who recall Joe Lewis have read about him know that he was specifically told by his handlers to play a role that included things like never be photographed with a white woman, never stand over your opponent, and, and certainly don't smile over your opponent. Uh, and never be seen going in and out of bars and that sort of thing. So he had this restricted life that he lived uh, that allowed him to gain some fame in, a, 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 in addition to uh, the success that he had in the ring um, that, that made him an American hero in some ways. The next African-American right around that same time was Jackie Robinson, and Jackie Robinson famously made the agreement to turn the other cheek to be broadly accepted by white America. So in timing, the next person up was Sugar Ray Robinson, and Sugar Ray was as flamboyant um, and, and unique as he was. He was living his own life as an African-American and gave this big vision of an African-American successful person that was living his own life and living in his community. He also, the, the big racial moment that was striking to me, there's a, a photograph in the New York Times of him uh, actually giving a, a large check uh, uh, to the Damon Runyon Cancer Fund while he was in Paris. And he's giving it to the president of France, and he takes the opportunity to kiss four times on the cheek the wife of the president of France, Madame Oriel, kisses her four times. Uh, and the photograph appears in the New York Times. And I remember reading the article looking for what kind of hate was spewed, or what kind of problems there were. And it was just uh, this, this wonderful article about Sugar Ray Robinson. That could not have happened... Uh, with anybody else. So he had this, this unique kind of presence um, that, that certainly opened up a lot of doors. Where, where would you put uh, a Paul Robeson on the spectrum of people you mentioned? Well, Paul Robeson comes the uh, early, early 50s is really when um, the biggest impacts of Robeson begin to be felt and understood. And unfortunately, um, you know, the, the power that, Ro- that Robeson had was, was as this athlete, entertainer, and political activists. And unfortunately, the political positions that he took didn't allow him to achieve the highest stages and and also just a a huge blackout in terms of people being able to see his works and understand who he was uh, until years later, until nearly the time of his death. So Robeson, in many ways, was probably one of the most powerful figures to make this transition and may have sacrificed more than, than many others out there. Last question for you. What's your next book on? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you know this, this was the the first uh biography and when i was was getting ready to write it i talked to uh, arnold rampersett who had written this great biography on jackie robinson and i was trying to figure out you know do you want to do this and he said well you know it's, it's more than a notion to write a biography you really uh immerse yourself in someone's life when you do that and this was uh about 1997 when I had that conversation <laughs> oh, with him and years. began to do this. So it's, uh, I don't know yet. I, I'm thinking it might be a biography, but, but probably a biography of somebody who's alive, which would be a lot easier to do. <laughs> <laughs>
Kenny. Great. Thanks a lot for joining right. us. Thank you. For more information, please visit our website at knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.